Miles, if you could have any kind of vampire power, what would it be? It would probably just kind of go for the live forever thing. Pretty, pretty simple, pretty standard. That's too easy. We're going to start the show. Miles, how are you, buddy? Not too bad. Not too bad. We are on week two of our Forever Night Deep Dive. And, you know, last week I I felt like I was uncharacteristically hard on this show. And I I think part of it was because I we we went to these syndication shows even back in september knowing that there was going to be an element of quote-unquote badness to them this this was probably the most quality of the ones we watched in terms of you know it lasting for several seasons and having a dedicated fan base so my i think my expectations were a little bit higher than they would be for say thunder and paradise where thunder and paradise you get enjoyment for very very different reasons yeah and and i think that there is also a, a a an element of 90s-ness to these that that may not always age as well as we want it to yeah i mean this is definitely an era that you and i both love and we love cheesy things from this era i think what what has frustrated me at least with the first batch of episodes about forever night was i can see how this can be something that's beyond that like there is so much potential for this show to be a quite excellent show right and I don't mind that it mires in the cheese and it's it's of its time. And, and both of us are talking about the show in 2021. Neither of us watched this with any sort of regularity when we were, you know, seven. Yeah. And I I think that this batch of episodes, although I will say we're not going to start off great. <laughs> um, I, I think this batch of episodes played better for me overall i think i I think that's true i I think we're gonna get into seeing we're getting more comfortable with the characters we're getting more comfortable with the flow of the show um and honestly this show has some weird quirks that it does almost every episode it sure does well let's get right into it of course we covered episodes six seven eight and nine though depending on the source that you look at seven eight nine and ten which is a an interesting one i'm wondering if they count the pilot as a the pilot movie as a different episode but the pilot uh, movie is two episodes technically i think so but they but even but on the uh a couple of spots it shows the pilot as episodes two and three really weird i don't know there oh maybe be, they count the, the original tv movie for some reason i guess I mean, that could be it but uh, that, that's weird but anyway so let's get right into it with episode six dying to know you uh so our summary a rich man's wife and daughter have been kidnapped and the chief brings in or uh, the captain he's not a chief he's a detective captain brings in a psychic to help solve the crimes but the psychic keeps getting distracted from solving the case by flashes of these monsters that uh, because she's reading Nick's mind because he's a vampire and a monster. And uh, 
and I'm going to go right out and say it. I did not care for this episode in the slightest. I found it to be very weak. Uh, so so both of us agreed before starting this this episode of our podcast that this was our least favorite episode of the show so far. However, that said, I think there are some cool things about this episode. I really liked how the episode starts off. It, first of all, I think this is our first daytime open. And that that was kind of fun. And this is this also tackles something that was used a lot in the 90s and the early 2000s in which a medium or psychic was used by the police. This this sort of thing is not something that we entertain much anymore. But this was kind of a, a rage for a while. I do remember uh, no. things like this happening. I feel like X-Files had a couple of psychic episodes. and But it, but it even permeated into, you know, some real life cases. I remember famously the John Bonnet Ramsey uh, case oh, yeah. in a psychic at one point. Like this is something that 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 seemed to happen in this particular point in time. And of course, you have shows like Psych and Medium that have you know, taking that concept uh, with success, but it's not something and, and bo- really both sides of the coin for those uh, one with yes. an actual psychic and one with somebody pretending to be a psychic who's just really observant. Um, yeah, this one seems to be an actual psychic. Uh, and and I mean, it is an actual psychic and I, I'm cool with that. I, I don't mind there being a, like, if if this universe has vampires it can have anything else. And I'm I'm happy to see something else otherworldly in this show. Yes. Um, this is also another instance of somebody figuring out who Nick is. Because uh, she kind of has to, he kind of has to tell her <laughs> and then uh, flies her I, I around. Love, and I, I love that because the psychic is saying, huh, a vampire. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, the psychic is saying that. Uh, so, uh, so, so we we have a couple of things going on right here. So, of course, every episode of Forever Night has to feature some backstory element. And again, I think this element of the backstory is also super weak because it's just a time when Nick was brought in by this this dude and ends up killing him like it, it's it's a weird backstory yeah i i didn't even take notes on the background which is typically i mean that that just informs that this it made no impression on me yeah um we, we get our our weekly skanky's opinion on on the subject of the day which sure. basically this one was psychics ruined his life because a psychic told his wife or his sister-in-law that he was going to die within a year because of his health and his wife made him eat healthy for a few months. Yeah. Well, and that's not all this psychic also tries to ruin Skanky's marriage at the end of the episode where he's like, Oh, what, what's your wife doing tonight? Skanky. He's like, she's out bowling. It's like, is she? And he calls his wife and she is not out bowling. Well, I also think she's messing with him because he has been, you know, talking down to her the entire episode. She's just like, all right, all right. Here you go. So uh, the the actual uh, procedural, and this is something that, that I've talked to Drew about, is I think what makes this show weak when it's weak is the procedural stories tend to be extremely supervis- superficial and lazy. And it takes away from my enjoyment. And this is a perfect example. This this story is kind of nothing. Yeah. So So we mentioned that a rich man's wife and daughter are kidnapped. And we're introduced to the McMillans, uh, 
uh, I'm sorry, the Hedges family, excuse me, Richard McMillan plays the character Matthew, um, the Hedges family and Conrad Hedges, the fa- the patriarch of the family is is this leader of this uh, 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 charitable organization and he's well loved and oh, he's got a mansion, but it's OK if he has a mansion because he does so much good and. Of course, as we find out through the course of the episode, he is the one who engineered his wife and daughter's kidnapping because they figured out that he was skimming off the top of the charitable organization. And oh, so the guy that you said was this amazing, cool, incredible guy was the bad guy all along. Lame. It's lame. It's obvious. And it's barely in the episode because most of the episode is the psychic going to places learning two like a sentence of information and then seeing the same flashback to to Nick's past where he's going to kill this dude in a barn the entire episode until she finds out until Nick finally tells her, hey, I'm a vampire. The dude killed himself. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <sighs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, and until the, the you know, he tells her and then she's like, will you take me flying one day? And of course, she ends up getting killed at the end of things, which is just. Yeah, I, I, because I, I, here's the thing. I actually really liked the actress that played the psychic. I thought she <laughs> and was good. And also, hey, I know this face. Uh, the 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 psychic uh, Denise, played by Elizabeth Marmer, who is a Canadian or not a Canadian actress, seems to be a British actress. Uh, she has done a ton of British TV, uh, but I know her uh, as the the character Tony T O N I from the British show Peep Show. Uh, with Mitchell and Webb, she plays the their uh, their neighbor uh, that has just split from her husband, Tony, T-O-N-Y, uh, and that both of the main characters pine <laughs> after for a little while. Uh, and she's she's not in that show for but for the first couple of seasons. But um, but yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, back I, to what I you were saying. Watch God, <laughs> I, well, so, so here's the thing. I like the psychic. I like her visions because it messes with the present. Like there's a scene where we see the perpetrator and it's the actor who plays Lucian. And I thought that was a really cool way to kind of keep that actor. And it also visually, it keeps that character in your mind. Yeah. Like, yes, we know that this character comes back because of things that we had to do for research on, but that's not something people might not have necessarily known back in 92. And I, I really like that. Um, I really wish they hadn't killed this character. And yeah, I mean, the 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 him flying her to the hospital after because she gets shot and having that little moment is is super, super cheesy. And it, it's followed by what I thought were the final shots of the episode because it it played like it. It's this <laughs> weird montage of Nick playing board games with himself, like chess and cards and throwing a ball against the wall. Playing he's, super, this- he's super sad, gang. Nick is super yeah, sad. He's super sad and he's there's he's, nothing sadder than a an 800 year old vampire wearing sweatpants, throwing throwing a ball at a wall. That was so funny to yeah. me for some reason. And Mo- then moping. in a bath in a bathroom playing a, le- a bathrobe on the floor playing electronic chess against himself. What were they doing? <laughs> also doing all this by candlelight, looking like he should be in a Michael Bolton video like and then this isn't the end of the episode. I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna rag on this episode. The episode then ends in this weird comical scene where they have a conversation with Skanky and the captain, bringing them their lunch, and you know, waka waka, Skanky gets a tofu burger. Uh, what like, is this? 
tofu. You don't I, like I it? Do, I, I do want to say, uh, because I did make this note. I don't know why I made this note just in this particular episode was I love the captain. The captain's pretty he good. Just, he constantly looks completely deflated. <laughs> and I can't tell if it's just that they, 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 this this captain is supposed to be like, you know, at the end of his rope or something, or if the actor can't really emote. I'm not sure, but I love the captain. Speaking of the captain, <laughs> I looked him up on IMDb the other day. Dude is working. He is yeah. working consistently. He, I don't know if he's been in stuff. I mean, I know he's been in stuff that I've seen, but I don't know if I've recognized him. But I every time he pops up on screen, I he, I'm just endeared to him. Yeah, me too. I mean, he's 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 still in. He's going to be in Resident Alien coming up with uh, Alan Tudyk. Uh, it's filming right now. I think it's a show that maybe got hit by COVID stuff. But uh, I think, wasn't he also in um, Umbrella Academy? I think he was, but I haven't he seen played, Umbrella. He plays. He plays. He um, Jack Ruby in season two because they go back in time. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Umbrella Academy, but it's on my list of something to watch at some point. But uh, uh, he's, he's good. Um, so let's move on to False Witness. Yeah. So False Witness, on the other hand, I found this to be an extremely interesting episode. It was. So let's get into our summary. Uh, so our episode opens up with uh, a. A weird scene between a two dudes watching pornography and commenting on it. Turns out that the one of the guys is a lot to realize that's what was going on. Cause I was like, is someone doing it in the background because this shows history? I mean, cold opens usually have that. Yeah. No, they're just sitting there watching, watching the skin flick. Yeah. So we find out that these characters are, are Murray Kozak, a, a, a evil pornographer in this area who is wanted for uh, a number of crimes, including the disappearance of an underage woman that appeared in a film. Uh, and uh, Pete, a guy named Pete that uh, Skanky and Nick have put up to wear a wire in this, in this instance. And, uh, who is, has been an associate of Murray's. Well, Pete gets something spilled on him. Murray gets up to try to get him off, notices the wire. A gun is drawn. And something is fired and Pete ends up dead. Nick has flown from his car to bust in and stop uh, Murray from everything. But Murray claims that that he, he that Pete killed himself. He shot himself uh, to which Nick responds. No, I saw you shoot him, but did Nick shoot him? And that's I, where I, the the whole like the the whole this whole story is is maybe the first time that being a vampire and being a cop have really come up against each other in a way that is negative. Uh, so yeah, and I kind of wish they had done this earlier because I I, I do I think this is extremely interesting because. It it like like you said, it shows the the backside of being someone who is, for lack of a better term, super powered in this instant because he can't tell them I crashed through the window. But even though he's got additional speed, hearing, and crash the window, he didn't actually see the gun go off. And so you still have this this instance of Nick not in he's in a situation where do do I play the crooked cop 
or not. Yeah, and, and this is where in in the moment, and you kind of see this because they are he and Skanky are both, and also Nick and Skanky have bonded to a point now where they are less openly antagonistic against each other in these episodes all four of the episodes we watched uh, for the, for this week they are definitely more friends and partners than than getting at each other it's it's more playful their banter in a lot of cases lately there's um, one episode where they i think it's this one where they kind of get into it well they get uh, it because because skanky definitely wants he doesn't care whether or not Nick saw yeah. and, and the guy well, shooting. Well, and, and they're so they're both they're both guilty about what happened to Pete because Pete is not the best guy. That he was definitely only helping them so he could get a reduced sentence on something else. But they feel guilty that he died doing something for them. And so Nick mm-hmm. in the moment lies that he saw Murray shoot him to 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 try to to to, to help him out. And and Nick and because they've been trying to get take Murray down for for years about stuff and the entire department, they throw him a party. They do all of this stuff. And then we get involved with this whole other situation with the fact that Nick has to testify in court in broad daylight and how they're going to do that. And that's a whole other situation. Uh, Meanwhile, the the lawyers, uh, this is also the first episode where they're really like, yes, this is Canada. They've got crown prosecutors and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, I mean, they've ever made a. Not it's never been a secret. This takes place in Canada. No, but they have. But they this is like skanky calls out the Toronto area. They're they're real. They're just not like there's a lot of times when I, shows are Canadian just, and just, they don't. I, I just don't. Yeah, but they, well, now, yes, but I just don't think anyone cared about that aspect. I don't think they did either. As but, much um, as you do. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, so this is where I want to introduce another character that comes into this show, Mistress Tamara, uh, played by Ellen Dubin. Uh, Ellen Dubin, you might say, hey, I know that face or I know that voice, because depending on what you watched, she is another Lex cast member. She played one of the bad guys across multiple seasons of Lex. Jigarata. Uh, uh, is is that character that she played? She has also very often done work for Star Wars voice acting. She has been, uh, she's repeatedly been Captain Phasma's voice actress in in uh, cool. supplemental shows, Star Wars Resistance, a couple of video games, a couple of other things, uh, which is interesting. But uh, she is just this wild. Uh, uh, elvira style character except not showing movies at night <laughs> like she's dominatrix is yeah, all. she's basically a dominatrix and uh and how that whole thing works out is you know whatever it's 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 <laughs> so, like dark well, and sexy right again this is 1992 yeah i also we get a hint from the flashback for how long nick was a baddie like he's he's been He's been kind of living the vampire life for about 600 years before he starts to waver. And yes, and he's been trying to be a good guy for like 200 years until we find out. Well, see, I have a this is another problem I have to show because I think their timeline wavers a little bit. Sure. Um, they, uh, Lu- uh, Lucian also mentions that vampires don't have souls, which is a concept that was later used by Whedon and a concept that is later contradicted by this very same show in two episodes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but but it was interesting. I liked the the matching 
kind of cases that happened. He, uh, Nick sees uh, Jeanette kill a, a violinist that he was kind of favoring. Uh, Jeanette and is the is the uh, the very the French owner, the club owner, very French accented vampire uh, that we have seen. And so. In multiple episodes. I, I like the character of Jeanette. Jeanette I mean, completely a, a blueprint for Darla and Angel. Like this, a lot of Buffy and Angel, or a lot of Angel's backstory and stuff, I can see just completely lifted from the show. And I'm going to say this a lot probably throughout the duration of this, but yeah. the, Angel season one and the whole going back to when he was with Spike and Darla and Drew, I just, I feel like it was like just carbon copied but i, mean, the, I the feel fact, like... the fact that spike looks a lot like lucian <laughs> at least in spike's first right uh, first uh appearance right. in that show like I, I like i'm seeing a lot of of inherited yeah. dna it, it, and it's something that i was actively like you know argued against back back in the day angel is one of my favorite shows like i loved angel and but back to, to Jeanette, I, I like the character. I think she is interesting. But up until this point, which does change in a couple episodes, I feel like they have the exact same conversation every single time they meet. Yeah, it, there's not it's, a ton of, of great development there. And, and this is part of it being a kind of an episode of the week at this point is sure. if you missed last week or the last two weeks, you know, you couldn't DVR it. You, you, you could possibly tape it. But this way, they repeat this information so that, oh, okay, this is who this character is. Um, and and this, this one wraps up, uh, interestingly enough, uh, you know, the, the mistress was do, doing it the whole, the whole time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, but, the, I, but the big thing is like uh, that we have to talk about the courtroom scene because, you know, they have, courtroom to, scene's great. They have to drive Nick to the courtroom in, uh, <laughs> in the trunk of the car. He gets out. Which we've and, seen happen in the pilot. Which we've seen happen in the pilot. We see as he is getting tenser and tenser about these questions, they balance the fact that he's guilty, that he has lied and but he wants to try to keep the lie when when the 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 defense mm-hmm. attorney is got him on the stand with this beam of light that is shooting through these blinds and these windows and getting closer and closer to him while he's on the stand. And it, it's one of those things where if it was filmed today, it would definitely be filmed better. But like it still came across sure. for 1992 and he's Good. he's just as as nervous about you know that beam of light hitting him and giving him away as as a as something other as a vampire uh as he is about what happened to to Pete and he does ultimately say that he lied he says that he didn't see it and well, the I- department turns on him and, and all of this stuff and it's 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 very interesting and then ultimately he just turns into a vampire again and goes and finds out exactly what happens <laughs> There is that 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 all that gets resolved. But I also like how well the prosecution set up their case. They weren't while while they are kind of the antagonists of the scene because you know you're naturally rooting for Nick. They they do their job well. I love the idea that they used a pro athlete who is in the Olympics to run the same route that Nick claims he ran at that location. And they're like, these timelines don't make sense. Unless you are faster than an Olympic grade runner, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and that's, it's, a, it's a great defense. That was what it was. Obviously, I thought that was where they were going to go before they got into the courtroom. But when they did, it's like, yeah, the decathlete did it in four minutes and Nick did it in two minutes. So it's got to be something crazy. Well, I, my only complaint was, I don't know if the case would get completely dropped like it was. 
I mean, that, you could still you still argue the arguments there. It's like I still came in. He had the gun in his hands and the other guy was dead. There is still some argument to be had. I mean, at, at this point, when when the law and order crew takes over, they would have taken swabs from the dude's hand and seen, oh, there's gunpowder residue on your hand, meaning you fired the gun and da 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 da. All this stuff, they I guess they didn't really have the terminology for from a uh, right. It's it's not com- communicated to the viewer, so I'm just like it's just like okay, it's over, and I'm like all right. And they, they and have this, this they is- have made a point that that Murray Kozak has been able to get away with everything they've thrown at him so far. So, which is not the first time in these episodes that that a uh, a guy has. <laughs> has has gotten away with crimes on multiple occasions but you know right <laughs> uh so yeah i think that's going to move us into our next episode which is cherry blossoms so i i know you have uh, a favorite so far this is actually one of my favorites Okay. So far, well, I, I, there's a lot of there's a lot to like and a lot to dislike about this. Oh, episode. there's a lot to unpack about this episode. I I give you that. So <laughs> so here we go. Uh, a a woman is targeted in a mob hit in Chinatown, but she escapes. But she's in critical condition, and now Nick must find her, and he tracks her down to this. Uh, to, to by finding this acupuncture shop that just so happens to be run by the the son of this woman that he tried to get to save him from being a vampire back in 1913 in San Francisco. And this is the this is the ancient Chinese secret episode. This episode has a lot of just Chinese stuff that is real. It, <sighs> There's a lot of casual racism in this in this episode. Yeah, it, it's it's like, OK, I'm going to put it to you this way. This is the episode where at the end of it, a gang of 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 Chinese mobsters finds where they're hiding. And one guy's got a gun and another guy's got a gun and another guy's got nunchucks. So in this <laughs> show's defense, I have seen a lot of like chinese mobster movies a lot of triad movies and at least in those movies and the movies that they would have seen at this time you know you gotta think your 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 chai young fat john woo movies that's not far from what's being represented to sure. the people who would be watching it in the west so i can't fault them for that necessarily if they're gonna do a well they don't they don't ever say it's the triads but if they're gonna do a, a chinese organized crime episode they're gonna emulate what they've seen in in the films and so the and the, the other side of that is that there is a huge like acupuncture is magic kind of thing that is is just like it, it like there's a lot of sticking an acupuncture needle into somebody's neck and them just being paralyzed and falling to the ground and, and, yeah. and again I mean, that, it's, that, that's, a, that's definitely a tv trope that we see time and time again it's a tv trope especially from the 1990s that you see that that acupuncture is 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 super magic but let's get into it because i think the least interesting thing about this episode is the actual like mob hit lady in hiding thing it's it's like I said before, it's it's background. I mean, it it's part of the episode and it's more well done here than in Dying to Know You. But 
and first of all, I'm gonna the, the the skanky, you know, opinion of the episode was basically su- being super racist. <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna out that one right there, and especially if you're gonna say, all I know is that my wife loves Mugu Guy Pan, which is like the key racist thing to ever say. <laughs> it's like why why are you doing this, skanky? Why are you doing this? But but uh, so there there are some one. but there are some interesting things about this that. I think yes, if handled more interestingly and have been handled more interestingly in other shows, specifically a show that I'm watching on uh, HBO Max right now, a cinematic show called Warrior, which is all about this. Uh, it is uh, that the the Chinese community in Toronto is distrusting of the police. Like there's a occupying the same space but being of two worlds situation. And uh, I mean, it ain't just Toronto. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that so that's that's the thing about uh, the, this warrior show is that it's in the late 1800s in San Francisco, the Chinese community, as they are trying to exist in the, you know, otherwise white community. And like, it's interesting watching that show and how they handle that versus this show where they don't really dive into it other than just to say that this is how things are working. Like they don't want to talk to us. They don't feature anybody saying that they don't want to talk to you except for one person in particular. And this is where we probably need to get into the most interesting crux of this episode. So oh, I'm kind of curious what you mean by that. Cause there's, there's, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. So, uh, so, so we need to talk about the, the flashbacks. Uh, so in the, yes, in, I think the flashbacks are fantastic in this episode. So the, the, the I, I will say, uh, Drew, before before you start, I'm curious if when this episode aired, if the scenes where Nick and May are speaking to each other in Chinese, I, if those had subtitles when they were on TV. That is a great question. Because they have a full conversation. Sometimes shows will do that where you don't know what they're talking about, but then they continue the conversation in English. And I mean, it, hey, if you if you watch this live back in the day, because it could just not be on what we're watching, let let us know, because I would be very, very curious to know if if some of these conversations had subtitles when they aired. That's a very good question, because because we do find out that Nick knows Chinese uh, that which is a which is an interesting facet in its own right. But the flashback takes place in San Francisco in the early 1900s. And Nick is visiting an acupuncturist to help him control his urges. And the acupuncturist talks about how, you know, acupuncture is used to help control urges for food or for opium or for other things. And uh, you put your, 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 your urges for blood. And as this happens, and as they're doing this, uh, who drops in but LaCroix and Jeanette and the the acupuncturist ends up losing her life, but you see her young son watching from the doorway. When we flash forward back to to the acupuncture shop in Toronto in the present day, and we see a very old man played by, hey, I know that face, James Hong. You may not know, you may not think you know James Hong, but you know James Hong. He is... <laughs> uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Blade Runner, uh, 
basically every, every American TV show or movie that has featured uh, that has featured Chinese performers has featured James Hong in some capacity. I'm exaggerating, but he is very, very well known. He has had a very, very long career. Uh, he's gosh, he's in so much it was, stuff. It was in he was in Mulan. That's right. He was the uh, the. Uh, is he in the uh, live action? It's probably not no, the no, live he's, action. He's, he, no, he's he's in the animated one. He's Chihu. Yeah, he's Chihu, the the one who. Uh, Chihu, yeah, the one who doesn't want to, uh, you know, who finds out Mulan is female and and doesn't like women and like the kind of like scholar dude who reports to the emperor. Dude is yes. Dude is in so so many things. Um, James Hong, look him up. You know him. You know that face too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. When, when you see when you see what he looks like today, because he's in old man makeup in this episode. Um, he just he's been in yeah, so many things. And I remember looking up some of his stuff, and I was like, oh man, I didn't even realize he was here. And I see a picture of him when he's younger, and I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. Like he's been in everything he's he's had an extremely long career but he is the older version of this the this little boy that we see back in back in the the san francisco acupuncture shop and this is where things get make an interesting turn because he through the eyes of a child basically saw nick kill his mom he didn't really. We determine. We find out. But but it's it's this is all played out as he is using his <clears throat> ancient Chinese holistic medicine to save a woman from gunshot wounds, which. I, I also think this thing. episode this episode is really good to foreshadow me because he says at some point that, you know, um, you never forget revenge or revenge is uh, ne- uh, always important. So he, he makes this comment about revenge. And he specifically looks at Nick. And one thing they don't do super, super well in this episode is Nick makes the comment where like, yeah, I think he hates me, but I don't know why. (laughs) And I've never really got the impression that he hated him. Like he didn't really talk to him that much, except like, I don't trust you as a police officer. (laughs) Um, So I that part I was I I do love when, (laughs) you know, he's helping save uh, this woman and the old. (laughs) just talks to nick like he's a 10 year old child he's like well you go over there and sit down yeah it's it's really really fun and i i I think that aspect of of this i i I agree with you that i think that the the episode fails in talking about the socio-political stuff they could have gotten into but for this time i'm sure a lot of people walked away being like oh man they went to all this stuff (laughs) You know, it is in 1992. So, I mean, I'm not giving it a break. I'm not saying this does an excellent job, but the fact that it highlighted it at all does seem to, you know, it pro- it probably raised some some brows to, you know, your your standard suburban white people who didn't know any better, which is not to say that's okay. I'm just saying that's probably what happened. <laughs> There are some really interesting moments in the flashbacks. Uh, Lucian, in trying to talk Nick out of pursuing this idea that he can be human again or that he needs to kind of not give in to his desires, says, your desires are in your soul. Something he literally said last episode that Nick did not have. So... 
you know, I mean, it's it's plot points like that that you know they probably didn't have a show bible because the show bible would have, you know, a, ha, to all of the cast members who played vampires. Get it? I'm making a, a yes, a vampire joke. <laughs> um, I also, I do want to say this episode had something that I did think was a little interesting. Uh, the I think there's a character who they want to. No, that's that's a different episode. But there's a character at one point, maybe it's skanky. It says life's a bitch, then you die. And I only highlight this because for network TV at the time, that seems pretty, pretty hardcore in terms of its cursing, because for a very long time, in terms of your major networks, your CBS, your NBC, your ABC, cursing was a little bit of a taboo. Yeah, but keep in mind, this is also... Uh, I understand this is 10 o'clock at night. This is the Canadian cut of the show. Uh, uh, that's a good point. And we I don't know about that. We don't know what the, right. we don't know what the, the Canadian regulations are yeah, for, for language. I, I forget that we're watching the Canadian cuts. That's that. Okay. Uh, I struck um, the record. Uh, so this is where I also want to bring up uh, Jeanette again. Jeanette has shown up yes. pretty. She shows up in a lot of these, these episodes. Uh, and there is a moment where, where, Nick and Jeanette are kind of reconnecting about Lucian and he and Nick actually calls Jeanette in to clear his name to uh, to to the the old uh, the old man, the old doctor, because she, of course, was also there and watched Lucian kill kill his mother uh, to. And this is this is great because they solve the case with like. 20 minutes left to go in the episode so i'm checking the time and i'm like wait a minute okay they caught they caught the, the bad guys and they got they got um to the hospital still 20 episodes 20 minutes left to go what's going on yeah and so nick is then still like stuck with <laughs> stuck with an acupuncture needle and then taken to take, as you do as you do and then he's got this this weird charm spell taped to his taped to his chest and there's a stake that's coming yeah, that, out. That, 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 was, that was a little much. It's a little much. But of course, Jeanette is brought in to to kind of to 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 vouch so, for so Nick here, here, in a weird way. Here, yeah, here is the here is the weird thing, because we have yes, we have seen Jeanette a lot in these last couple episodes. We know that she has had a relationship with Nick in in his prior uh, gallivanting the world as a vampire. And we know that while she doesn't approve of Nick's thing, she's always kind of constantly kind of tempting him to come back to the other side. So while it doesn't surprise me that she came to his rescue, I did think it interesting because she comes in the daytime and she's got this huge cloak. She's smoking from her skin and stuff as she enters the room. So she you know, she's cursing she, she doesn't she does it so fast that she rips the door off and throws it off the fire escape. Love it. I love it. <laughs> For whatever reason, the the rescue scene doesn't quite land for me. Like it's good enough, but I really wanted more out of it because with her character I never see that she wouldn't just Goot over there and rip his throat out. Like, why is she bartering with this man? I think and, I, I have a I have a, a take on this. And okay, it's yeah, let's and, hear it. It, and it's based on 
the past interactions we've had with with Jeanette, she really cares about Nick. And we see that at the end of this episode to the point that that was actually my note, too. (laughs) Yeah. to, To the point where she doesn't understand why Nick is doing this to try to become human, to try to, to lose his vampireness, to, 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 to do all of these good things. But at the same time, she shares a, a connection with Nick that is deeper than probably any other character in the show because of their shared history. There are hundreds of years of shared history some of which is romantic, some of which is not, some of which is just being part of the same vampire cabal, all these terms that that they don't really talk about. I have comments about that side of things as we wrap up this episode. But and I think that case in point is when after after Nick and Jeanette have, have uh, like Jeanette has has freed Nick and convinced uh, Dr. Tonghua that he that, you know, that he's wrong and that Lucian killed him and that Lucian's also dead and then. They're all is forgiven, apparently. <laughs> uh, and somehow, even still during the middle of the day, they're able to get back to Nick's apartment. They didn't cover that. But no, they didn't. They didn't. Um, but then there's this very tense, like, will they, won't they moment. And then they do. Then they do. There's a, they will. Uh, <laughs> right. As Natalie walks in, she's like, oof. It's, it's a weird scene to end on, but I. This does showcase that Jeanette is a much more three-dimensional and interesting character. And like I, I told you, I'm going to keep saying it. This completely mirrors the Angel-Darla relationship in, in the Buffy universe. And it, it also, it really warmed me up to the character more. I, I see that she genuinely has affection for Nick. And when yeah. they had their moment in Nick's warehouse slash flat slash whatever you really get the sense that they that she does genuinely care for him she doesn't understand him but she's also very smart i mean she's she's noted a couple times where she doesn't want it getting out and this might be why she doesn't kill the guy she doesn't want any threats to the secrets of vampires getting out in the human world because she knows how dangerous that is despite how much she thinks that she, that she's above them. She knows the numbers game. Yeah. And, they they got to keep so, their stuff on lockdown or else the whole kitten caboodles gone. Right. And my only problem with, with the way this episode ends is like, I actually liked the weird, like, because they, they have not indicated anything romantic with Natalie, but we know how TV shows work and we know it's going to happen. <laughs> um, I haven't looked anything up about that. I'm just going even... like, but what I know about television, Natalie is the main uh, actress for a reason at this time. And I, I have a feeling that they are going to pursue that. And, and I think this I, kind of sets up the two uh, the two characters that will have some sort of romantic orbit in Nick's life. And I love that there's, you know, Natalie at this point in time has no romantic interest in Nick that we know of. She just went, went, oh, this is an awkward situation because I just walked into my friend and this lady uh, go into town. And Jeanette thinks the whole thing is funny. And the episode literally ends, I think, mid-scene. I think they just cut it for time. Yeah, because she's, just... wa- she's walking towards Natalie and says, 
we'll have to get together and talk. And you you can feel like she's still walking. The sounds of her still walking are going and it just fades right into the theme song. So and and, and Nick chases after her like, I better make sure she doesn't kill my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a this this show never fails to end its episodes on a weird note. We didn't even talk about the the end of the prior episode where they kept repeating the same scene where the guy turns back to the mistress. Yeah. Like he keeps looking away and then turns back in the exact same format as if they were reshooting the same shot. It's different lines and stuff. It's just it's weird. The show <laughs> if I have a, a not even a complaint. A weird observation about this show is it does not know how to end its episodes. (laughs) Sometimes it does not. So let's get to our final episode for the evening. And I'm going to go and say it. The best episode of the series so far for me. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. uh, That so far, Miles, but I'm I'm hit and miss with it. There, There are things I like and then there are things that I think I dislike because they were overdone or at least they were a little melodramatically performed. I can I can buy that. So I will repay episode nine of the show. Uh, So we are introduced to a heretofore unseen brother of Natalie, our favorite uh, coroner, uh, who is a lawyer, a prosecutor for the Crown Prosecutor's Office, uh, who is late for a a a questioning uh, for for this this woman uh, who is trying to take down uh, Saul Craven, this gangster that and mob boss that we have have never seen or heard of before. And of course, he shows up right when somebody at the police station is getting arrested and pulls one of the cops guns and ends up getting shot and nearly dying right there in the entrance of the police station. Natalie blames herself because if she had gotten there earlier to her brother or if she hadn't come pick up her brother, her brother wouldn't have been there at that moment. And there's a lot of guilt. The brother's not doing well. Uh, or Richard is his name. He's not doing well. He's likely going to die. And Natalie turns to Nick uh, because Richard has a wife and and two kids, including a baby that they've just had. And begs him, Nick, turn my brother into a vampire so that he will not die. So my problem with this episode is in Natalie knows better. Natalie knows how because Nick has confided in her about so much of his life. And she she just assumes that her brother is going to be like Nick. And she starts to act somewhat irrationally in terms of their friendship and I get it. When when it comes to the death of someone who's super close to you, you tend to not always act at 100%. I get that completely. But while Natalie is justified in her feelings, because of the characters writing in this episode and then combined with, I think the actress trying to do it well, but with the, the lines she was given, it just, it, it didn't work for me. And it honestly made her, for me, extremely obnoxious. I, so I'll buy that. I'll buy that because it seems like, again, Natalie has been extremely smart so far. And she 
You, you get the idea that this is her her young little brother and and yes and her. I this, get this, point. I'm fine with that. Th- th- this is something where if this episode if this series was from today, we would have gotten probably a better written performance out of that. Yes, the whole the whole crux of this episode to me just works on the concept of your best friend is a vampire and your brother gets gets murdered is on his deathbed and you have an opportunity to save him. That is such an interest. Like that's the most interesting concept. Like when we talk about the show and the concepts they've done, all of the police procedural stuff has been lame, like also ran stuff that we've seen on law and order a hundred thousand times a season at this point. But this is the first time that we're getting into some real, like not just vampire stuff, not just crime stuff, but like the the two kind of melding together in that it's just it's a it's a morality tale. Like Nick knows yes. it because not not only does Natalie know better, Nick knows better. And because he's done it before. Because he's done it before. And th- this is the, with a flashback with this leper named Elizabeth. I actually didn't care for the flashback too much. Although I will say the flashback pops up like two times in the entire episode, which is like I, a, 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 a world record shortest flashback in the <laughs> series so far. <laughs> I think my problem with the flashback for me and, and some of the flashbacks is a lot of times they reflect the tale that's being told in the modern time. It's like Highlander used to do. I don't appreciate when it's always verbatim what is happening. What exactly is happening right now. Reliving his life every single time. Um, so I, I like seeing the fact that he's made this mistake before and doesn't want to do it again. But at the same time, he cares so much for Natalie and he kind of forgoes his better judgment. I, I can buy that, but I'm with you for whatever reason. I even kind of like the story they were telling. But in this episode, I just thought it was a little. T- and again, this is my problem with the episode is I get why you love it. And I think it's a great story to tell. My general impression is just it's a little too much. That, that, that I think that's it for me. I, I think everything they do is good. So, and so well, let, yeah, let's, go, go let's and, get, go in, go and let's get into the, to the rest of the episode, because uh, Natalie breaks Nick down and find and Nick concedes to turn her brother into a vampire. Everything seems to be going great. He makes a phone call to his wife. He, uh, you know, he's he seems to be happy. And then he decides to go outside. And all of a sudden, Natalie's brother, Richard, starts Merkin fools. And at first yeah, he becomes the, the vampire punisher. Yeah, he becomes vampire Dexter punishing writing wrongs. Uh, and at first he he only eats the uh, like he, he comes across this dude that's that's assaulting this woman in an alley and he kills and, and feeds on on that dude it believes her alive and then he breaks up a gang ring and and all of a sudden the the cops they don't know they have a vampire on their hands they just think they have a serial murderer who's ripping people apart with their bare hands meanwhile and i, I do i feel like we do need to bring up jeanette again because jeanette also features prominently in this episode yeah and voice of reason here she's uh, uh i mean she talks about why she has never brought anyone to the other side but when she finds out that Nick's done it, she's just, I mean, she is appalled because well, oh, and, and it, Nick in goes her mind, to, it's a random guy. And, and, and Nick goes to her 
early before he's done it for yes. advice. And and they talk about Lucian and, and Nick talks about how, you know, Lucian only wanted to control him and all of this. And they kind of have this this back and forth and how you, when you do this to a, another to a person, you turn them into a vampire, you you become kind of a parent and a guardian and, and a protector to this person. And is he ready for that? Is he ready to to do those things? And and then when it happens, of course, Richard starts killing people randomly on the street. And Jeanette is, of course, upset because this is her bottom line. If the if the Toronto Police Department figures out that vampires are real, her whole jig is up, you know? Right. And and, and that's that's a whole thing. Um, it ultimately uh, this episode ultimately ends with with Richard overcome with bloodlust he does go and kill Saul Craven kill Saul Craven's goons and also kills the woman that uh was going to testify against him uh, who mm-hmm. they had in turn randomly kidnapped in the middle of the episode that we didn't actually see um and, and so, that and and that's where where Nick kind of realizes he's gone too far. He's made the wrong decision and confronting Richard in his own apartment. When Richard goes after his wife and sister, uh, Nick has to put him down. And uh, so this is our first dusting, uh, but it's not the same kind of dusting that you see on a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> no. And in fact, Great use of a, a small spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that was the window. It was the window opening. Oh, was it the window? That it was the window that? opening. Yeah. Um, so I here is my here is my intrinsic problem with this scene. It's something that has been done uh, time immemorial, especially like in stuff like the last the Lost Boys. After about twenty minutes, Richard knows how to vampire yeah and knows not only that but like he he skulks with determination when he's when they're talking to him all of a sudden he now he's only in the shadows of the lost and looking all slicked back with this uh i can't i guess his new jacket because he was he was all kind of like sport coat and uh sweaters and now he's got this long duster and i just and I his voice it was gets look. super deep Oh yeah. Also, he gets a really weird monster voice when he tries to compel his wife to come over here, and I, I thought again, I thought it was a little much. Yeah, you know, I'll give you that. But again, it's one of those things where, where this episode, this is the first time I feel like this has done something unique that isn't just typical vampire stuff, typical crime stuff. This is the first time that those have have been really interesting in a way that I didn't expect. Oh yeah. I, 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 I will not argue that the episode is uninteresting because it's absolutely interesting. I think the story is good. I think the reason this one doesn't play as well to me is, is really just because of the writing seems to stumble a little bit. Um, especially the bad guy when he, he gives a legit when life gives you lemons speech. Yeah. And, I needed a hundred percent less of that. <laughs> Should have done it myself. Um, but when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. But, uh, to, 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 to what you were talking about, I think it's an interesting morality question uh, for Nick to face. And I think if you, here, here's the thing, if you were going to do, have that question, the only person you could have had that question associated with is Natalie. That yeah. is his lifeline to being human. 
You, it would not have worked with Skanky, especially since he doesn't even know that uh, Nick's a vampire. And I don't think they wanted to put Natalie's character in danger so soon in such a way this early in the show. But someone that she cares about deeply, you know, she's the only person that could get Nick to do this. And yeah. so I I, th- I think this was the right story to tell. I just have problems with the storytelling. For sure. Uh, uh, so here's where I want to talk a little bit about and and uh, and and because uh, I feel like we probably have more to say about this episode, but probably more to say about all the episodes as a whole that we watched this week. This show is interesting and weird to me in that I've watched a lot of vampire stuff that came after this. Mm-hmm. And this show just it has some of the quote vampire stuff but not all of the vampire stuff or prototypical versions of vampire stuff. Like Nick has a reflection. We know if we find that out. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. That annoyed the heck out of me. In Dying to Know You, the one with the psychic, we discover that Nick has a reflection. We know that Nick has been burned by a cross, but also is able to pick it up without it burning him. But then for some reason, he can't pick it up anymore he takes garlic pills because of this or that. But 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 this episode is all about the concept of in vampirism of siring. And that's something that like I know from watching Buffy and watching True Blood and watching, you know, uh, interview with a vampire and all these things about, you know, what the what vampire hierarchies of who turned who into a vampire and how that tree goes and all of that. And this this show just. It has just a little taste of that, but it's like it either it came before all that stuff became a thing or it just wasn't aware that that was something else around, quote, vampire culture, because so much of that stuff has just permeated through so many other vampire things. And it's just it's 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 present and just a weird way here. And I don't think that's bad. I just think it's interesting because I haven't seen it portrayed like this. It is interesting, and I think it's also it it informs why I'm a little bit harder on the show because this show is kind of the the along with Dark Shadows the grandpappy of all the vampire fiction we've gotten on screen in terms of television stuff since, and and this show has definitely inspired all of these things. And I think as someone who's watching this show nearly 20 years later, I'm being a little more critical because so many shows have taken what this show offered <laughs> nearly 30 and years later developed it. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep harping on Angel, but I mean, really, that first season, first two seasons of Angel, uh, especially the Darla Redemption arc, is all about what they're doing here. And it's it's insane. I mean, it is. I don't know if Joss Whedon ever gave a real, you know, thank you letter to Forever Night, but boy, <laughs> howdy, he needed to. There's a lot. I mean, I can see a lot of of, of creative DNA back there. I, I just, oh, I mean, not just cre- not, not 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 just DNA. I mean, lifted, <laughs> but but not just that. I, I think th- this batch of episodes I came away with much more positively. Obviously. There's going to be wacky 90s shenanigans. That's why we're watching this show to begin sure, with. For sure. But I, uh, outside of the psychic episode, which I still think had some interesting stuff in it, 
I walked away from this batch of episodes much, much happier. The last two I thought were incredibly strong. I I really I'm a big fan of um most Asian crime stuff anyway. So like I knew I was gonna like this episode, and it does a lot of things problematically wrong. Uh, but I also think the story that they were telling was was really solid. And then the the episode that we just uh, finished talking about, I thought told the story in a very very good way. I thought the story they presented was excellent. I just think the storytelling in terms of the scripting wasn't a hundred percent there from a modern perspective. Sure. If I had watched this in nineteen ninety two, I would probably be singing this show's praises. And 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 this chunk of episodes to me i don't know how you feel drew i'm seeing the show that that garnered the reputation yes in in these episodes we see our cast sort of solidify as what their relationships to each other are like i mentioned nick and skanky are in the first batch of episodes were just openly antagonistic to each other in a way that just didn't seem fun by this point they're 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 they'll give each other a hard time, but they're partners and they're working together. And you can see that aspect of things. You've got Natalie's relationship with Nick being really strong and being stressed. You've got the the captain just randomly being a guy that has no idea what's going on or also this really weird font of cop wisdom. It's really interesting. I love, I love the captain. I don't know why. I just love the captain. Uh, and uh, and and. And again, they're starting to tell more interesting stories here. They're not they always are. they're not always stories that that work, but they're working more than the first batch. And I'm excited to see where the show's going to go because we have a lot I, left of this show. <laughs> I, I am too. I'm also. I have to give it kudos for an era that did not really champion serialized stories. They're doing a really good job in even though they're doing it very slowly, you know, dropping these things. Like I said, you know, consistently Jeanette keeps popping up and then Lucien is constantly there to kind of, I, I, in my opinion, herald his eventual arrival. You know, we're seeing him pop up more. We're also seeing him like when the psychic sees his uh, face on the the guy that murders the limo driver. It. It just works. And there's a lot about the show that that works that we st- I still have the same problems that we've talked about with Nick's characteristics. And I think sometimes it needs to, you know, poop or get off the pot in terms <laughs> of, look, be a vampire show, be a cop show, but choose one because it keeps half telling stories from both. And and it's yes. like I said earlier, I think the the cop procedural cop stuff gets told so superficially that it doesn't it often isn't as interesting but in some of those same episodes the vampire stuff is only half done now the last couple that we watched did a very good job of balancing both and i hope that continues because that has been my consistent problem with forever night thus far and and based on some feedback that we've gotten about our last episode a lot of the a lot of the issues that we have are solved in season two of the show. Now, for now, we're only watching season one, so we'll see. I'm confident that this show will will pull it out just because we know that it's gotten two other seasons. So there's got to be yeah. something that happens as part of this. So but did, we'll wait, did we give it some feedback? Yeah. 
we'll talk, oh. uh, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that off air. But uh, at this point, next week we are going to take a little diversion from Forever Night uh, just to, to give ourselves a little time to to catch up on episodes. Uh, but. We're still doing an episode, baby. And oh, I yeah. I don't want to tell you exactly what it is yet, but I want you to, kn- to know that we're going to be talking about space, the final frontier. We're going to be talking about some voyages. We're going to seek out new life, new civilization. We're going to seek out maybe some new starships. Well, oh, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. You're going to have to tune in next week. Week after next, we're going to talk about the next four episodes of the show. That should be episodes 10, 11, 12, and 13. Unlucky number 13. But that's two <laughs> weeks from now. You got time. Uh, next week, we will see you then. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreyounerd.com. You can go to facebook.com slash themoreyounerd. And you can tweet to us at themoreyounerd on Twitter. Twitter.com slash themoreyounerd at themoreyounerd. Miles, any final thoughts? No, I mean, I think I think we've we've wrapped up everything uh, pretty good. I'm like I said, I'm enjoying this ride that we're taking and I'm really excited for our special episode next week. Skanky gang, hashtag skanky gang. Uh, In the meantime, we'll end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd. nerd. Ow.